Sunday, October the 15th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Okay, living out of uh, the depths. Stop splashing in the shadow, in the shadows, in the shallows. We are journeying through the life of Moses and we've been uh, looking at the way that Moses needed to get in touch with what was going on in his heart. And if only he'd got in touch with that a little bit sooner, he might not have killed someone. Uh, but nevertheless, it's good instruction for us along the way. Why is all this so important? It's so important because of what we read about in the very beginnings of Exodus about Moses, that sense that every person is both ordinary and extraordinary. There is the normal stuff for us, the normal flesh and blood, hands, feet, coming and going type of stuff. And yet there is for each one of us something so much deeper, so much richer than just the physical. And you will be aware that there is a whole world of difference when someone brings their whole self into a moment than when they just go through the motions. You will know that your contribution to those around you is deeply enriched when you bring your true self, your whole self, into that moment. When we live out of the depths, we are a gift to that moment. We are a gift to one another. And that's what we've been thinking about uh, together. Uh, Yes, please. We want to be a gift to those moments. We want to be a gift to the people that God has given us, to the circumstances, to the opportunities. We want to be authentic, attractive, beautiful, rich, and deep. But we've seen as we began to explore the journey of Moses, the fundamental problem of living out of the deep place. When Moses acted out of the depths of his heart, He literally found that he had no control over his anger and his resentment and his jealousy. And it all poured out. And in one swift moment, he killed someone. And so we can see that to protect ourselves and others, it's often safer to keep what's going on in the depths of our hearts actually pushed down somewhere in the depth. Thank you. Pushed down somewhere in the depths of our hearts in order to protect ourselves from what we might otherwise do in case we all go around smashing people's faces in. Now, I think that it's easy to assume that if I haven't got through an identified trauma like Moses, then this probably doesn't apply to me. It's my experience, having done this job for 30 years and spend most of my time interacting with people, that all of us have some stuff that we work hard to protect. Or to use the metaphor of our hearts that we've been looking at, you know, you've got a glass of clear water, you only need a little bit of gunk in that water, and that water's sloshing around all of the time because your heart and mine is pumping. What color is the water? All of us have got dirty water. In fact, the Bible goes as far to say, if you haven't got any dirty water, you're just kidding yourself. You, you're lying about it, which is takes us back to our series before the summer. We've all got stuff, and because we've all got stuff, we can't fully act out of the depths because we know that that stuff will come out. And in keeping with every person who's ever lived, we're like Adam and Eve who felt shame for what was in their heart and they tried to cover it up. They tried to cover it up with a fig leaf, metaphorically, over their nakedness. We try and cover up what's in our hearts because we know that it's not all that we want it to be. If Moses was longing to live out of the depths, he needed to deal with what was in the depths. 
And last week we began to look at God's gift to deal with our depths. What was it? Solitude. Solitude is God's gift to deal with our depths. We probably weren't expecting that. Typically in our environments, we think about what we need to do to achieve. We might have expected that uh, uh, we would need to be work harder at reading the Bible or to work harder at uh, living the right kind of way. In fact, often the incessantness with which we think we have the capability of rescuing ourselves by our activity is what stops us leaning into solitude. And we're going to pause here and think about solitude today because we don't often think about it and we don't often therefore do it. Typically, solitude has not been a big deal for most Christians. Even the quiet time, which is the closest we might get to the solitude space, is usually defined by what you do. You have a a checklist of things that you need to do to make sure that your quiet time is legit. Who knows what I'm talking about? So you've got to read your Bible, even if it's a little bit, so you can get onto your Bible reading notes, which sometimes seems easier. So you spend your time listening to what someone else says about the Bible rather than listening to what the Bible says itself. Then you know you need to pray, so you tell God all the things that you think you need and want. And then you feel really good that you've done it. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And if you can do that successfully for several days, how good does that feel? We're defining those moments by what we do. And as we're going to see this morning, uh, solitude is defined by what we don't do, not by what we do. I'm going to assume this morning that you are totally in agreement that solitude is a mega theme through the Bible. We looked at that um, last week when um, uh, we saw how Moses fled into solitude. Remember that from last week. And uh, you can get it all thanks to Ken. Give Ken a round of applause. He gets our podcasts up all the time. And you can catch up with those there. So that third one will, I hope, help you see that solitude is a mega theme of the Bible. It runs right the way through. And uh, Jesus focuses, uh, or the writings about Jesus' life focus our thoughts on it with uh, a huge level of clarity. And as a result, people that uh, have gone into the depths, Henry Nome, for example, would say, without solitude, it's impossible to live a spiritual life. So why? What, why is it uh, uh, such a dominant theme in the Scriptures? Well, if we recap on what we were talking about last week, just as a way of launching in, it allows the spiritual law of gravity to work in our lives. What's the spiritual law of gravity? It's this, that go back to your heart being like this clear water, or you'd love it to be, but it's got all this these these things that are less than what you want it to be, and it's all shaken up, so you've just got this muddy water If you leave that to settle long enough, what happens? The sediment settles to the bottom and you can see what's in the glass with a clarity that you cannot see whilst it's all uh, shaken up. That's the spiritual law of gravity. We get to that place where all my longings, as the psalmist put it, lie open before you. And the reason that the psalmist can say that is that he can see them. He can see the longings in his heart in a way that he hadn't been able to see before. And no wonder his heart pounds and his strength 
feels like it's failing. When you see what's truly in your heart, that's how it feels. And that's why we'd rather not look, because it feels overwhelming sometimes. And as we said last time, when we see it, then we can begin to surrender it. And we're going to come back to that idea. Because you can't be real with God in the place where you haven't been real with yourself. There's a certain logic to that, isn't it? You can't be real with God in a place where you haven't been real with yourself. So why solitude? Because it allows the spiritual law of gravity to work. And I think also because the soul is like a wild animal. And some of you will have, uh, perhaps if you've done any reading around these kind of subjects, you'll come across this different metaphor about the soul being like a, a wild animal. It's tough, your soul, resilient, resourceful, and savvy. It knows how to survive in hard places. But the soul is also, just like a wild animal, in some senses, shy and timid. It seeks safety by keeping out of sight, by ducking under the undergrowth. If you want to see a wild animal, what do you do? Quiet, stillness, silence, pause, wait, watch, don't move. Let everything settle. Let the quietness of the place descend. You with me? And in that moment, the wild animal, your soul, will feel the safety to begin to emerge. It's why the fishermen in Roth Park Lake in Cardiff got so annoyed with Kerry and I. We did our courting on the rowing boats at Roth Park Lake. And every time you would go near the fishermen, as we were chattering away and clashing our oars, they would get annoyed because what did they know? That it's only in the stillness and the quietness that that which is wild begins to emerge. And it's exactly the same with your soul and mine. Let's dig a, a little deeper. Why solitude? Because it, it gives opportunity for what's really in the depths of our hearts to begin to emerge. Why does it need to be emerged so that we can see it? Why does it need to emerge so that we can see it and surrender it. Remember, that's what sets us apart from all the kind of self-help, uh, uh, all the different mechanisms and, uh, and ideas. And they're not bad, but they're not the whole story in themselves. That somehow you can see what's in your heart and fix it yourself. Well, if you could see what it was and fix it, the human race would be probably a lot better and a lot healthier than it is right now. But as we can begin to see it we can begin to surrender it to the person who can fix it. So what is solitude? Solitude is a fast. It's defined by what you don't do rather than what you do do. When you fast from food, you don't eat it, right? When you fast from noise and distraction and people, and the immediate, and the lists, and the tasks, and the goals. When you fast from those things, that's solitude. And this is, this is really important. It's really important in terms of a posture when we enter solitude. Because it is in stark contrast to the quiet time that I described some moments ago. You guys all okay? Yeah? What's really important is the posture with which we enter solitude. Because one of the things that I want to know if I'm doing any task, because I'm an Enneagram 1, you'll be different and have a different perspective on it, but because I'm an Enneagram 1, I want to know whether I'm doing it right. Some of you, because you're Enneagram 3, will want to know whether you look good. If someone was to see you. Others of you will want to know whether it was helpful to you or somebody else. And so we've all got these different perspectives. But, but our focus is about what we are doing and what we are achieving and what we are creating in and of our 
ourselves. Who recognizes that sense of being, even in those moments, being driven by task. Now, this is the thing. It's super important that we recognize that there are loads of tools that are really helpful to us and we need to own them and to celebrate them and to practice them. I mean, we've been journeying with a few of them recently, haven't we? Soap is a tool for reading the Bible and hearing what God has to say. Be transformed is a tool for getting to grips with something that's in your heart that needs fixing and sorting out. Revealing the lies is a tool that helps you see where you're believing something that isn't true. All of those are super important things. But if they are what comes first... We will operate even with those tools out of the shallows of who we are rather than out of the depths. And that's the issue. We can come to all of those things and we must. But if we become focused on on using them alone, they will not help us go to the deeper places. Sometimes even these things that are good can become distractions. They can become another way of us not allowing what's in the depths of our hearts to speak. You will only bring in the end to those tools what's in the shallows, not what's in the depths. Why don't you just pause for a moment, chat to somebody, somebody that that you like or someone that you don't like. So you've got a choice. You can chat to someone that you like. You can chat to someone that you don't like. You do not have to say who that person is, okay? You can ju- just start chatting. How are you getting on so far? We are so captivated by the illusion of busyness and activity that we can take that into our quiet time. Whilst our quiet time might be audibly quiet, it can be full of the noise of the things that we feel that we need to achieve. And Jesus makes this contrast, doesn't he? Go into your room, close the door. Do not keep on babbling like pagans. Do not just keep on with all the activity and the noise and the stuff. And almost you could say, do not keep on with the circus, with the nonsense. Don't be like them. And so he's defining those moments much more in terms of what you don't do than in terms of what you do do. And we can so spiritualize it, can't we? That even if I take time out in solitude, I'm trying to hear God speak. I want to know what God says about something. I want to feel better. I want to, whatever that might be, and we've already defined that moment by what we can do and what we can achieve from it. It's firstly a fast. It's not introversion either. 
Some of you are thinking, well, I'm an extrovert. This is okay for all those introverts. They must love all this stuff because they love that solitude place. Introverts find it as difficult as extroverts. Because introverts will very quickly lean into their introversion as an escapism. Escapism is trying to fix your own mess. They will use their introversion as a way of stopping their heart responding to all the emotions that are going on around them. Introversion can become an anesthetic to what's going on in the same way extroversion becomes an anesthetic to what's going on. You know, people that just don't shut up. And if you're not sure who those people are, It's easy to think that this comes much more naturally for some people than to others. Now, for sure, being quiet comes more naturally to those who are introverted. That's not solitude. We use our introversion and our extroversion in equal measure to anesthetize ourselves to what might truly be going on in our hearts. So it's not extroversion either, and it's not loneliness. One of the actual pandemics of our culture is loneliness and isolation. And loneliness and isolation is excruciatingly painful. And so the posture that we adopt in that lonely place is to fill it with stuff. So it's equally not solitude either. And so there is a, there is a totally other way of being that I think we need to learn that we're not familiar with, we haven't been taught, it doesn't come naturally to us, and our preferences for engaging with the world and the way that we restore energy and all of those uh, things simply create different challenges for us. They do not take those challenges away. Ultimately, solitude is to be with yourself and God. It is a stillness and a silence. A stillness and a silence. Be still and know. Be still and know. Not be still and think, thank heavens, I haven't got to deal with that. Introversion. Not be still and long to speak. Extroversion. Not be still and feel isolated. That's loneliness. But be still and no. Can you see how that's a different path altogether? It's a calling to something different to what we're familiar with. And, and, and we naturally go down our own little rat runs, our own little rabbit warrens, whatever they might be. I love the way Eugene Peterson tries to capture um, some verses in Lamentations. And uh, he tries to capture some of the nuance of uh, what the writer is saying. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself Enter the silence. Enter the silence. Bow in prayer. Don't ask questions. Don't fill it up with your noise and your thoughts. Wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble. Take it full face. Allow the trouble, and the first trouble that we encounter in silence and solitude is what's within us. Don't run from trouble. Take it full face. The worst is never the worst. However bad it appears right now, it's not as bad as you probably fear. There's that wonderful poem, isn't there, that I know some of you have used about the wilderness. uh, And we face the monster with love on our side. Enter the silence. Where does solitude lead? It leads from you to God. One of the problems with our posture is that we are desperate to get to God, maybe, because we instinctively know that if I can touch him, see him, hear from him, then something inside of me will change. But in our desperation to get to God, and there are all kinds of reasons sometimes why we avoid God because we're scared about what he might say or we're afraid of uh, what's going resonates with something that we're anxious about in our hearts. In our desire to get to God, 
we can miss out on the important piece of being present with ourselves. I can only encounter God to the depths that I'm willing to encounter myself. Does that make sense? So if there's all this and I'm just living in this top little bit and I come to God, I'm only taking that top little bit to God. It's the only bit that I know that's there. I'm only taking what I'm aware of, what I can access, what I'm willing to get to know, what I'm willing to get in in touch with. And so we can have this desire and we hear it all the time, Lord, I want to know you more. Have you ever said that to God? Lord, I want to know you more. And honestly, I think heaven cries back, you'll only know me more once you know yourself. I don't want to know myself. It's ugly and it's there's stuff in there I don't want to look at. I want to know you more. Can I just know you? And we want to short circuit the whole process. We want to go high in God's presence without going deep into who we are. It's back to the tree metaphor of the roots and all of that stuff, isn't it? And, and so unless we'll learn to know ourselves, we'll never encounter God in those deeper places. Lord, I long for streams of living water to flow from deep within me. Ever prayed that prayer? But if those streams of living water are going to flow deep within, I've got to open up what's deep within. If it's sealed up, the water won't flow. Or if there's just a little crack, it'll flow only a trickle. Jesus talked about a gush, a a river, an overflow of living water, which implies that it's all open and available and free. And if your heart is like mine, it's locked down sometimes and it's divided and it's got blockages in there because I rather not go there. And so Jesus said, love your, love the Lord your God with, with which bit of your heart and soul? With, with all of it. With all of it. And then more penetrating, more penetrating, he goes on, love your neighbor as your, as yourself. So there's this correlation with how much I love myself, how much I'm in touch with myself, how much I can make sense of myself before I can make sense of loving my neighbor, let alone loving God. Now, I really struggled with that loving yourself bit, and many of you have too, because you've been brought up in a Christian tradition that kind of goes, well, when it comes to love, you've got to kind of reject or deny yourself because it's all about the other person who's with me. And so this idea of loving yourself seems really hard to get your head around. But if you don't love yourself... If you don't have a sense of the awareness of the God in you, you will not have deep appreciation for the awareness of God in someone else. And if you are not in touch with your own self, how can you allow God to be in touch with you in those places? And so there's this this deep kind of interplay between the depth with which we get in touch with ourselves, we embrace ourselves, we love ourselves, and the depth to which we're able to allow God to love us. And so where does solitude lead? It leads from you to God. So what happens so often if we even try to go into that place of solitude is all the stuff that you don't want to think about comes up to the surface. Have you ever stopped for five minutes and your head's about to explode with everything that's going on inside you? And so you think that's a bad idea. Let's not do that anymore. And then you say, well, actually, it doesn't help me get closer to God. No, it doesn't. You're quite right. You've only got as far as a tiny bit of getting in touch with yourself. You can't get in touch with God until you've got in touch with yourself. That's the journey that you have to walk. There isn't another way around it, I don't think. If we find it, then we can sell it. We'll do books and podcasts and websites. We'll be the church that sussed it. You can't do it. So we get around this loop of I, I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do five minutes, like I said to you last week. Five minutes. And those five minutes are full of a thousand and one things in your heart. And maybe you feel anxious. And maybe you feel uncertain. And maybe you feel confused. And you think, do you know what? This doesn't work. I'm not gonna do that again. Now that's quite logical. That's a lot of common sense. But you're back into self-protection. You're back into protecting your heart from yourself and from the world. And one day that will explode like it did with Moses. And we all need to stand well back when that happens. 
uh, for all of our sakes. Got to be you. And we have to push through that. We have to push through that. And it leads to salvation. It leads to salvation. Because when I do push through and I allow what's truly in my heart to be seen and to be known, then I can surrender it to the God of the universe who loves me through and through and has died for every single thing that's wrong within me. How cool is that? I can't fix it. And that's where it all goes wrong for people. They allow the reality of what's in their heart to come and then they try and fix it and you can't. If you could fix it, Jesus didn't need to die. Think about that just for a moment. If you could fix it, if you could fix what was wrong in your heart, then Jesus didn't need to bother. And yet at the very heart of everything that we believe is that we can't fix ourselves. And religions the world over are basically going, okay, we're going to acknowledge what's in our hearts. Then we will try and fix it by doing this and not doing that and following that ritual, performing that right, as if somehow it's in our power to fix it. And it isn't. And when we allow what's in our heart to come to the fore, we can see that we are utterly powerless. And that causes us to lean on Jesus in a way perhaps we've never lent on him before. And that leads to a healing, to a presence that perhaps we've never felt before. Who feels good when they clear out a drawer or a cupboard? Yeah, you've taken back a bit of control, haven't you? In this chaotic world, you're in charge and you've sorted it out. Emptying a drawer creates a feeling of freedom. Can you imagine the level of freedom by getting rid of a bit of a junk in your heart? If you get excited about a drawer, hey, wait to see what happens when you shift some stuff that's in your heart. If it doesn't bring you joy and it's not useful, Mary Conde says, out it goes. I'm lucky still to be at home, to be honest. (laughs) Notice what uh, David is saying in this Psalm 139. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Now, we think of this Psalm quite often because we're Western people. We think of it most of the time in geographical senses. If I go to the heavens, well, how am I going to do that? They didn't even have rockets in those days. It's, it's a metaphor. If I go down to the depths, well, there is no deeper place than inside your own soul, is there? If I go to the depths, what do I discover? It's back to this you to God. I discover that God meets me there. And that's when the good stuff really happens. When God meets me there. And solitude leads to uh, change, or we might talk about walking out your healing. You see, the thing is, I do not have the power to change, but Jesus can rescue something from deep within me that I could not solve, heal, forgive, cleanse by myself. But I do need to take responsibility for what I've allowed him to do within me. If you have walked with a hunch all your life and your hunch is healed, it's very easy still to walk like this because it's the only way that you've ever known how to be. You with me? So it's very easy to walk in the way that we used to walk even though the power of that thing that was over us has been released, forgiven, cleansed, restored. And one of the great things additionally that solitude does is it slows down the pace and it gives you a clarity about what's going on in your inner world. And clarity creates, in this sense, the opportunity to take more control of how you will then go on to live, providing the power of it has been broken and only Jesus can do that. It was the... um the Holocaust survivor, Victor Franklin, who uh, uh, coined that or has that kind of famous uh, phrase that you might uh, uh, have read from time to time. Between the stimulus and response, there is a space. Now, when things go wrong, 
There is usually no space between stimulus and response. You see how that worked out in Moses' life. There was a stimulus and he responded before he'd even engaged his mind because your heart works faster than your mind. His heart poured out and he killed someone and buried them because there was no space. What solitude does is create the ability to see with greater clarity the stimulus and the potential response and give you the space to make a different choice. That's the power of solitude. And that's what happened with David. As, he, as he'd wrestled in his private space about what had gone on in his heart, one day he was able, thanks to Nathan, to see it. And he ah, the space between stimulus and uh, response. So where does solitude lead? It leads to all those good places. So how do you practice solitude? It's a practice. Practice makes, yeah, well, it might not, but it will make you better at it. It will make you better at it. It's one of those things that we haven't really tried, or we've tried just a little bit, and for the reasons that I explained earlier on, it feels like in those early moments that it's going all wrong. So you have to own it and be intentional about it. And one of the problems that we face in our uh, modern era is that we don't naturally have solitude. If you lived a hundred years ago, you would have natural periods of solitude in your life. If you were a, a farmer, you would have had natural space free from noise. Post-industrial revolution, post the invention of the nuclear family, There is very little time in our lives without noise or distraction, unless we intentionally make it. We will not fall into it by accident. We have to deliberately choose it. And it's harder than ever in our instant, always switched on world to choose it. But we have to be intentional about it. We've lost something. And we have to regain it, recalibrate it. And I can't you know, tell you how it would work for you. You need to figure that out, how it works for you. But what's super important is that you define that time not by what you do, but by what you don't do. So even the practice of, um, and don't misunderstand me here because I'm, I'm a real fan of it, something like journaling, where you use a tool journaling's the tool, to access what's going on in life. No problem with that at all. It's absolutely important. And it's one of the ways, depending on the way that God's created us, that we access what's going on on the inside. If you go straight to that, though, you are much more likely to stay in the shallows. You with me? Even in things like journaling. So I'm in kind of this emphasis, in this season, it's not that none of those things matter. So I would be super tempted to say to you, spend five minutes and then at the end of it, write down your experience of the five minutes. You will spend the whole five minutes panicking and worrying about what you're going to write down. So suddenly it's become about what you're doing again. So so we've got to shelve all of that because we've got to learn something new. We've got to practice something uh, something different. So don't focus on what you're doing, on, but focus on what you're not doing. In fact, and I'll come to this in a minute, better not to focus on anything at all. Make sure you're letting your heart speak. You're basically saying, I'm here. And you're saying that to yourself. I'm here. I'm present with myself. Before and as well as you will then say, I'm present to God. And don't give up. All those examples we had last week in the, the Bible, they, what, the one thing that was in common about the solitary place was what? They were there for a long time. For whole seasons of their lives. And so our kind of Five minutes here, ten minutes here, 
even our half a day here and half a day there keeps us splashing in the shallows. Because the scriptures would tell us that understanding what's in our hearts takes a long time. If you went through a loss in the Old Testament, they would give you a year to try and come to terms with that loss. Some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. It takes a long time to understand what's in our hearts. And yet we want to fix it oh so quickly. And so we have a go and it's a bit of a muddle and it's easy to go back to protecting ourselves, to go back to the shallows because it's an awful lot easier. What do you do if you can't get to sleep? No. What's the worst thing you can do if you can't get to sleep? Yeah, think about I'm trying to get to sleep. If you concentrate on trying to get to sleep, what happens? You stay awake. If you concentrate on the process of solitude, you will stay distracted. You can't control it. That's the point. You're giving what's in you the freedom to be you, and you're giving God the freedom to be God. And as we try and concentrate on it and put it in a frame, we box ourselves in and we box God in, and we take control. No expectations or disappointments. That's a really hard one, isn't it? Because if I'm, if I'm spending this, putting all this effort of doing five minutes a day, I expect something from God for that. He must be well chuffed that I'm giving him the whole of this five minutes. And so we just need to go, okay, this is over. I can't fix me. But I'm going to be present with myself. I'm going to practice being in a place where my heart can begin to speak. I'm going to practice being in a place where I can begin to hear what's going on deep within. I'll practice being in a place where maybe one day that wild animal will put in an appearance. Many of you, if you've gone looking for wild animals, you've gone home disappointed and frustrated because the wild animal didn't put in an appearance. It's the same with solitude. But one day, but one day something gathers a clarity. And you will instinctively think, well, I just needed to rock up on that one day. When your soul takes on a clarity, when the wild part of your soul, the wild animal within puts in an appearance, it will be because for a week, a month, a year, many years, you've learned to be still. And you've created the quietness to hear what your soul is saying. You've created the stillness to hear what God wants to speak into that. This is not a quick fix. This is not a quick fix. In some of my own journeys, I've spent 18 months trying to figure out something that I've kept locked away for 50 years. That's not a bad return, is it? 18 months on 50 years, but it never would have been five minutes. You with me? And some of us have got stuff locked away for Even longer than that, some of you younger ones, honestly, don't lock it away for so long. The longer you keep that door shut, the harder it is. You know those doors when people have painted over it multiple times, just can't open it anymore because someone didn't think to open the door before they painted the next layer of paint, it seems. And it's just stuck. The longer you leave it, the harder it is to get that door open sometimes. And one of the ways that we can teach our younger people to stand on our shoulders is to help them learn to open the door. And we can't lead people where we ourselves are not prepared to go. So we've got to open our doors, haven't we? To create environments where it's easy for younger 
people to open their hearts to. Let's pray. Just want you to think about what I said last week when um, I asked you to spend five minutes doing nothing every day. Now, there'll be a whole range. Some of us will be pretty pleased that we did that. Quite chuffed right now. We managed seven days, five minutes doing nothing. We might have found it really hard. Some of us will think, oh, Monday and Tuesday went well. Some of us will think, I never gave that a second thought. So we're all in different places, different spaces. So do you hear the invitation? The invitation that the writer of Lamentations talked about, entering the silence. The fear of what is within. And so maybe we hear what David wrote about, that even if I go lie down in the depths, put my bed in the depths, you're there. Whatever the fear of what's within, God meets me there in that place. So let's be quiet for five minutes.
be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be still and know. When we learn to enter the silence, we learn to be present with ourselves. To bring our whole selves into the presence of God. And over time, as we know ourselves, we know God deeper. And the more we know ourselves, the more we can surrender. And we say with Paul, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me, rule in my heart forever. Come and take your place. Come and take your rightful place.